Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the president, please send them to pip at christiancentershreveport.com. We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today, but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Zach Arsketin coming to you live from North Carolina. And today we want to look at um, the covenant exchange that we have with the Lord. And in our foundational study here, focus more on something personal uh, that we can take and expound upon to our city or state or nation and praying for the office of the president and this nation as well in the covenant exchange of the sacrifice of blood and then the covenant exchange of Jesus dying on the cross. And the passage of scripture, really want to stay high arcing on this um, and go through prayer points that Dutch uh, Chuck points out in this journey of restoring our covenant blessing in the throne room um, with the Lord as we boldly enter into the throne room. And he goes on um, to say this, and he's speaking directly in context of Hebrews 9 and 10. And in it, Paul is talking to the Hebrews about the old versus the new, kind of explaining the differences to them of the significance of the covenant of the bloodshed of Jesus Christ and more so the power and authority that the power and the blood gives us. And then also dealing with how, if we truly have a repentant heart, which is very interesting as we're in this month of Elul, where repentance is a key factor to restore um, things back to the heart of the father. Um, Number one, how God aligned this out, but how that this principle aligns here. And so the, the prayer point Chuck has is he said, God has a remedy for our iniquity, ultimately the covenant exchange of blood. And that covenant exchange was very huge. Robert Heiler does a teaching uh, for his school of Issachar, and, and, and when he breaks down this covenant of even when – if I'm getting it – if I remember correctly, it's First Chronicles 11 and 12 where you see David um, – <clears throat> And my mind's going blank. I don't know why. Um, Saul's son come into covenant unity, uh, or you know, even in marriages and other things. And in modern times, they would exchange blood on their wrists, and they would leave, you know, put dirt in a dot, and they would then um, have a mark here on his wrist, the exact same spot that Jesus would have been crucified under his wrists. And he does a better job of explaining, and I'm breaking. I'm 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 very high level, hitting very key points on this. But the the point here, and even in Hebrews nine, it talks about that, about the reason why we needed it um, in today, and and the blessing that it is because Christ died on on the cross for our sins. And I know you all understand that, but this is just a reminder of that of that covenant blessing. And then ultimately going through and confessing that he is 
the Lord of Lords, and then holding fast to your confession, which in Hebrews 10, it talks about that, of how if you, you truly have a repentant heart, if you truly have turned from your wicked ways, you should want to hold on to that. And so just wanted to break that down um, at a high level. I would highly suggest going and reading that. Uh, I didn't want to spend all my time on that today, but it, it just shows the covenant there uh, in Scripture of the reality of the, the the blessing that is Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And for America, point out to how even at the founding of this nation, we and the 13 colonies and the founding fathers built this nation upon a covenant relationship um, with each other and with God. And not necessarily in a religious standpoint, and it comes from the Declaration of Independence. And I want to read the last paragraph of the Declaration of Independence to really highlight this, and hopefully we can understand this, of um, going through the rest of it and saying the last paragraph says this. It says, we, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress Assembly appealing to the supreme judge of the world. For restitute of our intentions, supreme um, judge of the world, meaning the Lord, do in name and by authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that the United States colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and all political connections between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, include peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all other acts, things which independent states may of right do. And here it is. And for the support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, with a mutual pledge to each other of other our lives and our fortunes and our sacred honor. They're making a covenant here. Pledging to each other our lives. And they're obviously um, <laughs> firm reliance upon the protection of divine providence. I mean, they, they're wholly just like exchanging this with the Lord, saying, Lord, because at, at the end of the day, if we, we remember back history, they're risking their lives. So they understood, look, we go down this road. This is, we are, we ourselves um, breaking the law. And so they knew the realities of this, and, and I I wanted to read that as we're we're looking at this, you know, Christ's covenant exchange is that you know we can all have marriage covenant um, for those who have been married. It's it's what you're doing. Obviously, we don't do the blood um, part um, necessarily uh, on the wrist, it, but the reality is is look there. There are relationships that we have made here in America that go in line on these same contexts here. And so we want to understand that as we go about um, our covenant exchange. And yes, the great exchange for reliance upon the Lord um, and the blessing that the that Christ has given us through the power and authority of his blood. And we need to remember that um, now and in the days ahead. Um, okay, now moving on. Into our first segment, I want to go through an article from the Jerusalem Post on the disastrous deal that the Biden administration and the European Union are headlong just diving into in what we've been calling and everybody's been calling the new 
basically getting back into the Iran nuclear deal. And there's a new term for it, and I'll break it down. But first, I, I, I want to point this out. There's something that um, Ben Shapiro pointed out yesterday in his show that I think is very, very important. And why I want to focus on this Iran nuclear deal is – and I'll bring it up here on screen. He posted on Instagram yesterday and on Twitter as well uh, saying that uh, the Republicans are losing steam in the 2022 election. There are some reasons for this, the Democratic upswing in the wake of Dobbs being the most obvious factor, but there's something else here going on here that represents a deeper problem for the Republican Party. Um, and I'll put a link to this uh, in the comments below on Facebook and then in the show notes on the podcast. Uh, so be sure to read it, um, and if, if you don't fully understand it as I'm reading this, go back and take some time to think about, okay, what is this? He goes on to say that the GOP is miscalibrating the very nature of the American um political scene right now and it's based on a myth and the myth being that there is this uh, what is called the mythology of emerging democratic minority majority basically the progressives they have a bigger voice than they really do um saying that the democrats have uh, banked on this myth since 2012 meanwhile republicans have also banked on another myth the myth of only a magical person i.e donald trump could defeat this and beat this and this is where the Biden administration is being super smart, and we have to be aware, um, innocent as doves but wise as serpents, is Biden administration wants to have everything be about Trump. Mar-a-Lago, Trump this, Trump impeachment, January 6th, because as long – and he points it out here – as long as Democrats and Republicans are arguing about Trump, candidates are campaigning about Trump, and not focusing on Biden – in the disastrous policies that they have, um, um, I'm trying to make sure I have this correct of what he said, and making Biden the centerpiece of it, it's going to cause people, and it is causing people. Here's it: it is causing people to vote Democrat and more so anti-biblical moral values. The reason this is important, and the reason Democrats are eager to do this, this is statistics show and polls are showing this uh, to keep. The reason Democrats want to keep Trump at the center of conversation is half of independents say Trump is a major factor in their vote, and they're breaking four to one for the Democrats. Republicans shouldn't play the game, and if they do, they're cruising for a bruising. What he's saying here is that independents who will swing the vote this election and future elections is if Trump is at the center of your conversation and not the downfall of this Biden administration, the realities and the facts of what's going on. Then they're they are are breaking currently four to one. That's why you can't always believe what you're hearing from the right of saying, "Oh, this red wave, oh, the red tsunami, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming." That's only from the right. When you look at independents and Democrats, it's not that way. Democrats are going to be in their their boat, and independents are figuring out where they're going. And right now, polls are showing four to one. And here's the key: is the Biden administration does and Democrats do not want to talk about Biden, the economy. Uh, the perversion of the education system, Afghanistan, and they want to talk about Trump, and Republicans are going down this road. That is very key. So let's dive into this um, Iran nuclear deal talks uh, that the Jerusalem Post does a good job of breaking down and why it's important. Because we, can't, we have to remember that currently, right now, the EU Biden administration officials are headlong going after this and making this a top priority right now. Um, to allow 
sanctions to be lifted and some disastrous things to to happen with this Iran nuclear deal. And it's all based upon what's written down on paper. Even the original Iran nuclear deal, the JCPOA that the Biden uh, the Obama administration uh, 1.0 2.0 signed, Iran did not follow it. And so I'm going to go through this and, and and understand that bad faith from the beginning, bad faith along entire negotiations, and in reality is you have to know those who labor among you. You have to look at the fruits of who they are, biblical standards, and understand who you're dealing with here. And so the Biden administration is ignoring all of that in trying to get back into this Iran, this new Iran nuclear deal. So. The obviously we talk about the big push here. It op, the article opens of that the e European Union has presented what it has said the final draft of the deal. Um, now when we go through this text, um, there are really four parts, four steps uh, that the EU wants to hammer on. On day one, they want to get back to what is known as the Iran, Iran nuclear deal. And that ultimately it would be able to join the commission 165 days later. Basically, it's taking um, 165 days for them to go from day one, day zero to day 165 to allow them to get back in accordance with the JCPOA and the new deal, which I'll get to here in a second of what it's called. And one of the first steps on day zero is that Biden administration would rescind three executive orders pertaining to Iran as well as secondary sanctions on 17 banks, which would free over $7 billion belonging to Iran from South Korean banks. So day one, they get more money. Um, additional deals with prisoner exchanges and stuff like that, which is just astronomical, basically terrorists. Uh, Iran would – this is, this is key. On day one, they're saying this is what – the EU and the Biden administration wants is for Iran to stop enriching uranium to 60%, which they're currently doing, which the original goal was like 3%. So they've blown well past that, which is why the uh, Trump administration moved away from it and pulling it back down to 20%. Well, they have the knowledge. What's the point of that? Like it, it makes no sense. Um, and supposedly to allow the inter. International Atomic Energy Agency to begin resumption of monitoring Iran nuclear sites. Part of the JCPOA was that if the IAEA was going to come in and investigate, they had to give 60 to 90 days notice. So Iran could do and move wherever they want to. And let's not forget the fact of the, the current investigation that is still going on to figure out where the current levels of uranium are at and where the centrifuges and the technology and the uranium that they've enriched to such a high level are at in, in Iran. So you're saying not only are they hiding things from you currently as you're trying to get back into this deal, part of the original deal was to allow them to be able to hide it in the first place. Very, very problematic. Um, and then it talks about how this new deal, which is now being called Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act, would have to go – Anything that's not an executive order would have to go before the Senate and House because that's how things are done. Um, and unless they have a veto majority, then Biden will most likely end up doing an executive order any, anyways. So there's a lot of things that could possibly happen, but I want to stick with the details of what could, what's in this deal. Um, 
part of it is the U.S. would give a one-time sanction exemption for Iran to sell 50 million barrels of oil and permit business negotiations in the area of energy and aviation. Iran would stop enriching uranium to over 5% purity and would start preparation period to transfer information to the IAEA and would allow the agency to resume full monitoring, which is already talked about the disasters of that. Two months later, day 120 would be re-implementation day. Iran and the U.S. would have to publicly declare their intention to continue to return to the deal at least seven days prior to that date. Basically, everything's going according to plan. Iran's following the steps, no, no hiccups in anything. And then by day 165, Iran would have to fulfill its commitments to the IAEA regarding its ongoing investigation into enriching uranium found at undeclared sites in Uran Iran, meaning there are sites that shouldn't have uranium, but they do, and IEA wants to know where did this come from, etc. And you're saying people who don't know the country don't know where uh, little caveats are, which if you go back to our revolution, that's how we were able to defeat the British because we knew the land. They didn't. Part Partly of it in certain aspects via guerrilla warfare. Now, um, continuing on, it says that means Iran would give the IEA a credible response as to the source of that uranium. Um, and the IEA would, in turn, close the probes. Basically, just give a good enough answer, and, and they'll go away. <laughs> Iran would also complete all steps required to, by the deal, scaling back uranium enrichment to 3.67%, reducing its stockpile, sealing up uh, transferring centrifuges, and etc. And again, allow the IEA to fully resume monitoring. You're telling me they're going to go from 60% to 3%. I don't think so. When, when we hear the, the speech... Unfortunately, from the Iranian president yesterday saying we need this for other reasons. We're, we're not doing the things you're saying we're doing. Um, but yeah, we're going to go back to this deal that in his mind says, well, if we go back on this deal, then we can't do the drug and things. That he, he was very smart in what he said yesterday, not saying I agree with him. But um, also, the U.S. would remove all sen secondary sanctions on Iran and agreed upon terrorist designations. This does not include the IRGC and expand explain to businesses what the lifting of sanctions means. And what this would also mean is that the efforts to get back into this um, would affect, prevent um, the sanctions from being, snapback sanctions from being put back on. And this goes in accordance with the UN Special Counsel Resolution 2231, of preventing sunset clauses from being in and, and not allowing extensions on basically the Iran nuclear deal. So this wholly benefits Iran to get back into this deal and does nothing for the safety and security of not only Israel, but the United States and the rest of the world involving the terrorist actions of Iran and its supporters and those it supports, I should say. Now, interesting thing here is that in 2024, limitations on advanced centrifuges research and development would begin to expire, and in 2025, the snapback sanctions mechanisms, which brings back all sanctions on Iran if it violates the deal, would expire. So if Iran just stays tight for the next three years, two and a half years, it all goes away, and they can do whatever the heck they want. They could still be enriching uranium. They could play the waiting game, give everything over, still keep it in. Like, th there's a whole host of things that could happen here. It's disastrous. Um, in 2026, the restrictions on using centrifuges, including advanced ones, uh, begin to expire gradually until 2028. In 2030, the Iran deal expires entirely without limitations on uranium enrichment and on stockpiling heavy water reactors and plutonium. So, 
at best, they can wait till 2025. At worst, uh, all they have to do is wait till 2030, and it all goes away. That sounds like a great deal to get back in Iran with, knowing that they're going to break it all along the way. Because, and here's the key point, kicker on this, is that as through all of this, um, what will could possibly happen is that uh, Russia, via its Russia and China, via its partnership with Iran, as they have sanctions from the U.S. and the West, Russia and China, will then use Iran as a proxy to do business deals, to do any trading, selling oil, natural gas, etc., and get around these sanctions that they have, not just in building their own economy with Iran and China and Venezuela and Nicaragua and Cuba and et cetera and other communist countries, but in working with the rest of the world to get around these sanctions. Don't think business people aren't going to be smart enough to realize that and, and to use the fact that, that Iran would be the proxy for Russia and China that they wouldn't use it. Um, so we want to, on, on that note, Hopefully this helps understand the realities of this deal uh, that the Biden administration and the EU leaders are trying to push back into. And Israel is fighting and standing, saying that, look, we're going to defend ourselves. We're going to protect ourselves. Uh, so you basically, we, we're praying that you don't do it, but if you do, we're going to protect ourselves. And rightfully so. And hopefully we have American leaders that can realize that in the future. So we want to continue to pray for and repent for the Biden administration's stance to divide Israel because this is what be disastrous. Um, Repent for them even trying to get back into this deal and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Intercede for the Biden administration and military leaders to have the fear of the Lord when making decisions on Israel and Iran. Um, because at best, this just puts a pause on Iran's – let's let's say this deal goes into effect and, and Iran fully follows it. It just puts a pause on their nuclear research. They just wait. Nuclear scientists go on vacation, and I'm, I'm being extremely hypothetical. That's not how Iran operates. Because even when they were in it, they were still doing the things that they said they weren't going to do. And they currently are doing the things that they say they're not doing and hiding it from the IAEA. So um, we need to be fully aware of that. Now, domestically, I want to talk about two economic issues in the United States that are that are utterly disastrous. Continuing to, continuing to look further on the student loan forgiveness debacle, to say the least, is the more and more we find out about this, the more and more it becomes very prevalent – uh, of the problems for future generations and the problems involved and the unintended consequences, uh, whether they're not seen or seen from politicians, are going to have an effect on the economy. And these are things we need to be fully aware of. And the first thing being that um, through the student loan forgiveness actions, the Biden administration is using an executive order for – government, uh, nonprofit workers via the public service student loan forgiveness program and would average uh, um, around $60,000 in debt for each individual borrower, totaling uh, around $9 billion could possibly be forgiven through this program if allowed to go forward. The reason this is a problem, the huge reason is this, is that the deal, the what is technically being termed student service, public service loan forgiveness program prioritizes government and other nonprofit sector workers um, that adhere and fall towards this, where the deal is you pay your monthly payment, principal, excluding interest for 10 years, and then the government will forgive the rest. Meaning there's a huge chunk of it, and that huge chunk 
means that we have to pay for it, Americans. The rest of the Americans have to pay for it. Now, the reason this is a problem is because what they're also doing with this is allowing with this public service loan forgiveness, they're allowing people to apply for what is called a income-driven repayment plan. And at times, it's beneficial for people to pay it. So with that income-driven re repayment plan, you only have to pay the principal that they therefore set based upon your income. So if you're at below poverty level, you're barely paying anything. And uh, if you know Peter Schiff, he's done an economist, an investor, he's done an analysis saying, showing that, okay, if you allow this based upon the poverty levels of the United States, uh, average around $30,000 $30, income, then at the end of 10 years, these people will have only paid around – 17 to 18% of the entire principal of the loan, excluding interest, and that the federal government will then therefore pay off the rest of the principal over 80% plus the interest. That's a problem. And so there's no incentive for these people to even try to pay off these loans. And then on the fact of within this 10-year time frame is when people make the least amount of money if they come out of college. It's not until a little after the 10-year, more like the 15 to 20-year that people, if they have jobs that can make enough money, that they're able to then therefore pay it back. So the problems with this are disastrous. Um, it's basically allowing the federal government to create money to be able to pay off these loans to benefit and buy voters for themselves. And so this is a huge problem. Um with having the government being involved in this, and then you also are seeing uh, the news. If you followed us around the pandemic time since then, uh, you'll know we went through the eviction moratorium, the disasters there, had the Supreme Court ruled that it was unconstitutional to begin with. And now there are likely within the next two months um, 3.8 rent million renters who will be evicted. And on top of that, you have included in which that 3.8 is included in the 8.5 million dollar uh, 8.5 million people who are behind on rents um, due to the eviction moratorium and as you have inflation as you have rising rents um, it, this will be very problematic for these people who haven't been paying their rent or are behind maybe for legitimate reasons and most landlords are just saying, look, I have to get you out of here because you haven't been paying rent and I need to make my money because some of them, that is their business. That's their livelihood. So we don't fault them for that. But again, these are unintended consequences of these decisions being made by the federal government that we need to be aware of and hopefully pray that leaders, future leaders and current leaders, hopefully learn their lesson and not do this in the future. And, and this is where the Bernie Sanders third and fourth generation crippling dream comes into play is as we go down this road, these things will cripple the next three to four generations. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, one of the last few things we need to cover, and I'm going to look into this more because this is something that is coming to the news front that is, is in line with some prophetic, but also trying to understand where and how this fully plays out in the fact that the Federal Reserve is now deciding to, well, since 2021, has decided to announce that in the summer of 2023 that they're going to have what is now called Fed Now, which is an instant payment service. So basically, if you remember 
Chris Reed's recent prophetic, which is confirmation of John Paul Jackson's older prophetic of the basically the digital dollar. This is what this will allow. And the idea is to allow the central bank to be involved in creating uh, instant payments where they will work through their finan your financial institutions to be able to instantly allow payment to go through and you'll see it instantly. I wonder, it doesn't really say how they're going to do this. It just says this is what they're going to do. This is where blockchain would come into effect. This is the, the only benefit of the cryptocurrency, the technology itself. Um, but the reality is, is number one, do you want the federal government having that type of access to your bank account and them being the only ones to know it? Um, and then also is what does it mean by having um, a relationship with your financial institution? Do they have account level information on every individual, which would be why the IRS would want to invest into something like this? Um, the federal government would want to invest. It, it's complete government overreach, complete problematic, and it's the way they're going. And they're saying the way – the reason they're doing this is we want to, to help people um, save on transactions costs and et cetera and stuff like that. I, I didn't really know that that was an issue. Um, as Rick Joyner pointed out, there's there's other issues that Americans are worried about, not this. And this one's going under the radar because from the Federal Reserve, let me pull this up, from the federalreserve.gov, this was last updated on April 28th, 2021. So a lot of people aren't paying attention to this. Um, when you go on their website, it's trying to, it's kind of all um, unicorns and, and cotton candy rainbows, like, oh, this is the best thing ever. You're not going to have to wait one to three days, which – didn't really realize that was an issue. I mean, some people, some people are so stingy and, and that they want to get away from transactions costs. And I get businesses want to keep transactions costs down, but do you really want the federal government to be involved in the free market? And this is what this is this is causing. If banks want to do this, then no problem. The federal government doing it is a problem, as we're seeing with the student loan crisis and the uh, rent, rental moratoriums. Uh, it's called the consequences and the trade-offs of this are very problematic to begin with. And last thing we want to pray about this, this is a golden court case uh, going before the Supreme Court involving uh, one of the oldest Jewish universities in the United States as they're appealing to the Supreme Court in a battle over whether they, a religious school, have to recognize an LGBTQ club and more so being forced to. It's the Yeshiva University is defending itself based upon First Amendment rights of whether it has to do something that goes against its literal uh, moral values and religious moral values. And this is where the First Amendment comes into play. And then they're, the lawyers for yeshiva are saying, look, you, you can't force us to do this. Based upon the last Supreme Court, um, when Justice Breyer was in there, you would say, okay, this is an easy win. Depending on how this case is argued, uh, because those who are trying to have the LGBTQ club put into place are saying, well, legally, on how the school was started, it's not a religious school, supposedly, even though everything they do and, and the agreements the students sign up to are based upon um, the Talmud, the Old Testament, Shabbat, etc., the festivals. 
and adhering to that whether you're in seminary school or in um just a the general population of university students and you also have to live with seminary students so it is technically a religious school based upon the actions of things done um it's a caveat that they're trying a technicality that they're trying to get out of if it even has any standing and, and the reason we want to be aware of this and pray for this is that we want to number one pray for this current new supreme court for them to adhere and stand up for not only biblical moral values but the first amendment and, and to not be persuaded due to pressures from this again what uh ben shapiro was calling the uh, mythology of emerging democratic minority majority basically um, the loudest people in the room win and so we really want to under understand what this case is about and hopefully praying that the supreme court um, rules in accordance with the founding principles to stand for the First Amendment in this Golden Court case for Yeshiva University, as this will determine not only uh, First Amendment rights for this university, but other institutions as well that may, by outside groups, be tried to force, like they did with the, the photographer and cake baker and um, florists for weddings in the past, um, to be do something that other people want to do and so yes it blows our mind um what world we are living in and and this is why we we're standing praying um and repenting for the actions of our leaders in this nation and hopefully that we can get back to being a nation that stands for the gospel and spreading the gospel of the kingdom to the nations but with that i hope you guys are blessed don't forget to like share and subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you are leave us a, a five-star review and help us share and spread the word uh, for anybody who wants to stand and pray for the office of the president. Well, blessings, and I'll see you guys later. Have a good one.